It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. It is Wednesday, February 11th, 2009. And all kinds of stuff to be happening. Looking forward to my uh, trip to uh, Chicago, or Naperville, to be speaking at the Brothers of John the Steadfast Conference, their first national conference. And uh, funny that uh, as I'm getting ready to travel to Chicago, uh, there's a little bit of a brouhaha brewing uh, in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, regarding uh, issues, etc. And... Uh, <laughs> The, the internet is a buzz, let's just put it that way. And uh, we can talk a little bit about that today. That seems to be one of the things that's on my mind. Got a good program lined up for you. My name is Chris Rosebro. Thanks for tuning in. I am your host and your servant here, a uh, servant in Jesus Christ. My job here at Fighting for the Faith is on a daily basis to dish up a daily dose of biblical discernment and to basically have you guys ask some tough questions. I'll ask them for you, and you can ask along. And you can even, if you want to make this an interactive experience, you can send in emails, and we'll include your uh, your emails and the questions and the commentary and the reactions to what we play here. But the goal here is to uh, take a look at what's being said in the name of Christianity by popular preachers, pastors, authors, people who have book deals, conference speakers, even people who aren't necessarily uh, famous. Uh, sometimes we make them famous. Uh, it, compare what people are saying and compare it to the Word of God. Take it and just go, wait, is this what God's Word teaches and this what it says? And uh, if it doesn't, then uh, they get a verbal scolding and a tongue lashing. <laughs> well, maybe that's not what it is, but we basically accuse it of being false. And why? Because we believe there's a such thing as truth, and we believe there's a such thing as error. We believe there's a such thing as sound doctrine, and there's a such thing as heresy. There's a such thing as something that is not biblically sound, and there's a, there's and that means that there's things that are biblically sound. If you want to understand what it is that I believe, teach, and confess, then I recommend that you get a copy of the Book of Concord. And you're going, well, what about the Bible? <clears throat> I believe that the Book of Concord lays out a correct interpretation of scriptures. Okay. If the Book of Concord contradicts the Scriptures, the Book of Concord needs to be modified and changed. But the Scriptures are clear that uh, that God's Word is tantamount. And I think that if you're reading uh, the Scriptures in a way that ca- causes you to be in conflict with the doctrines as laid out in the Book of Concord, you ain't, you ain't properly understanding what God's Word teaches. So uh, I know that it, most people look for those little thumbnail sketches. You know, we believe, teach, and confess, and it's like eight lines long. You know, something that, you, you know, it's a pamphlet. And uh, unfortunately, if you really want to understand what I believe, teach, and confess as far as sound Christian doctrine and what it is, what it just defined, what it isn't. Because the Book of Concord in many places lays out affirmative theses. The Bible teaches these things. And, uh, and anti-thesis, these things are wrong. And so we engage in that here at Fighting for the Faith in the good spirit of the Reformation. You know, but, uh, but see, that kind of leads to the question, is the Reformation uh, modernism? In this postmodern age, apparently believing in propositional truth claims and sound doctrine and things like that is supposed to be some kind of a modern endeavor. But the way I look at it is modernity didn't come along until after the Reformation. So does that mean I'm pre-modern? What am I? <laughs> I, I don't know. Today's program, we've got some good stuff lined up. We've got some listener email. You know, we never got to the uh, Mormon God, war gods email yesterday. Whoops. I know. Can you believe that? 
I put it in the list and it I, and then I shuffled it. Oh. oh, wait a minute. I've just figured out you're here to pump us up. I am? Yeah. Me? Yeah, you're to pump us up. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. I'm here to pump you up? Yeah, yeah. Why would I do that? I don't know. <laughs> Where are you coming from, John? Speak to me. Speak to me. <laughs> am I Arnold Schwarzenegger? No, no, no. Uh, it, it, what? That was from a Saturday Night Live sketch, yeah. wasn't it? Yes. With, with the, with Hans the, with, and Franz. Hans and Franz. I'm here to pump you up. Yeah. Really? Is it, yeah, that's, that's kind of what... Yeah. That's what I do? Yeah. I pump people up? Yeah. Okay. Well, some people. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. So, all right. Let me think about this. So, uh, because the Book of Concord is really a large book, requires a lot of, of reading. You know, there'll be no girly theologians here. <laughs> no. <laughs> is that what that is? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care if you want. Don't want to read. You're going to read. <laughs> okay. I don't do that well. All right. So we didn't get to our Mormon War Gods email yesterday. Uh, and then, by the way, today, 151 years ago today, is the um, uh, the apparently the Virgin Mary appeared in Lourdes, France. <laughs> we'll talk about Marian apparitions today, and uh, and the Catholic Church apparently they're cracking down on these. Um, and uh, we'll l- listen to a little bit of N.T. Wright on the doctrine of hell. N.T. Wright appears to be the uh, major theologian of the emergent church movement. And um, he's said some recent things on YouTube. Well, there's some YouTube videos out there of him talking about heaven and hell. And so we'll play his stuff on hell. Why? Because we're going to continue working through the Gospel of Mark today. And in today's reading, Christ talks about hell. And so we're going to do a little bit of comparative work between what N.T. Wright is saying and what uh, Jesus says. And uh, if you want to know what to believe regarding hell, go with Jesus. <laughs> Um, uh, we've got a news story here that, uh, get this, over 5,000 pastors have taken the Bible only pledge. We've mentioned this in passing and, and uh, I think that's good news, uh, sort of. And then we're going to be doing a sermon review of, uh, from Guts Church, uh, Bill Shear. And, uh, Bill Shear, we actually parody him in one of our, uh, Marty Python's Flying Circus Church sketches, the, uh, uh, the Rex Quando the Pastor Rex Kwando sir, uh, guy, because we, we, we think he sounds like Rex Kwando from uh, Napoleon Dynamite. And so he's got a sermon that we're going to review. And the reason we're, we're reviewing this one, not necessarily because we're looking for real stinkers. I mean, if we really want a stinker, then we can review another uh, one from Relevant Church. Uh, but this one, it, it, doctrinally, there's some, there's some big challenges in this particular sermon, and I want to... Uh, address those and kind of point out something actually more than kind of, I want to point out the fact that the doctrine that he's espousing in this particular uh, sermon could cause somebody to despair and lose faith. It turns faith into a work. It's yeah. And so that, which is not very good. And so we're going to be uh, doing that today. So without any further ado, we're going to dive into our listener email. Um, Nathan Bins writes, he's a young Calvinist. Nathan one, the other guy can be number two. (laughs) Nathan from, uh, from down under, he says, uh, "Dear Mister Noseblow, Noseblow, yeah, yeah, that's good. I, I do that often." He says, "I was listening to your recent show where you were responding to an email from someone asking if Mormon deities are able to make war on other Mormon deities." Okay, now isn't yeah, in the in the Greek and Greek Greco Roman pantheon of gods isn't Mars the god of war? I I don't know. I think so. Okay. All right. Anyway, he says, studying Mormonism is something of a hobby of mine. I, I live for adventure. <laughs> Good old Mormon adventure. And so I would like to inform you that the answer to that question is a resounding no. Okay. According to Nathan Binns, Mormon, 
apology, you know, apologist to Mormons, you know, ministry outreach guy to Mormons. That doesn't even sound right. Who study a guy who in Australia who studies Mormonism? That that's it. Okay. Okay. All right. Just want to make sure I got this right. He says the only way to be raised to godhood is by being good and following all the rules. Evil or warlike people could never be raised to godhood. There's actually a quote from one of the early Mormon apostles whose name eludes me at the present. Well, so much of a scholar he is. Anyway, he says, uh, basically saying how wonderful it is that only good people can become gods because of how horrible it would be if a wicked person were able to attain deity and spread their wickedness throughout the universe. <laughs> Apparently, they, they must have some kind of an evil detector that they, you know, they wave over you or something and, oh, no, 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 <laughs> we don't want that guy spreading his wickedness. In the universe. Having said that, free will is a is a vital concept in Mormonism. Predestination was set up by Lucifer, which is what got him kicked out of heaven to become Satan. Oh, I didn't realize that that it was a doctrinal dispute that caused him to fall from his exalted position within the Mormon pantheon of mythological deities. He says, so I guess there's nothing stopping gods from running amok if they choose to do so. Well, except for the fact that they don't actually exist because Mormonism is a complete sham. Well, there is that little thorny issue to kind of deal with. <laughs> the, in reality, no, no Mormon deity could become warlike because there's no such thing as a Mormon deity. And there never will be because the whole thing's a sham. I agree with you, Nathan. I understand that. I just think it's kind of fun thinking about it because uh, this doctrine itself of uh, eternal progression really is just ridiculous. And as far as I'm concerned, I, rather than being, you know, I, I really think Mormonism is a sex cult. I really think that's, you know, it, it appeals to people's libidos. Rather than you know anything else, I think it has the same appeal as a suicide bomber thinking that uh, he's going to get seventy-one virgins upon exploding himself in an airplane or a crowded movie theater or or a storefront down in Israel. You know, it, it apparently the libido has a, a lot of sway over people being able to make decisions or their ability to think rationally, and so um, the idea that hey, if I'm a good person, which I'm not. You know, I don't understand that. How can a Mormon think that they're actually a good person and good enough to become a god? I mean, I, I'm not even good enough to be God's janitor, you know, in in his stables. You know, I'm not even I'm not even good enough to, you know, to be the guy that picks up the dirt of the, the horse poo, you know, in heaven. I, I, I That's how bad I am. You know, if if it wasn't for the grace of Christ and his righteousness. Good night. I mean, I, there's only one place that that I'm deserving of. Hell. I, I, I can tell you, I have deserved and earned hell. I mean, even today I've done it. Because it says in James that if you've broken one of the commandments, you're guilty of breaking them all. So it's like, you know, it, it, think of the law as a very, very, very wafy, thin China vase or something like that, you know? And if you, you, you notice that when you break a glass you know, or break a vase or break a dish that, um, it's, oh, it's completely broken. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's not partly broken. You know, it's not like, oh, well look, you know, we can actually eat off of this fragment here. You know, you know, if you break a dish, you, no, you break it, it's gone. You broke the whole thing. It's kaput, you know, as my German grandmother would say, um, it's kaput. But, um, so how anyone could could be so deceived as to thinking that they're good enough to become a deity. I mean, 
you know, if if church was for good people, I I couldn't go. <laughs> the Stuart Smalley doctrine. Yeah, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough, uh, mm. and gosh darn, people like me. Yeah, uh, but I'm not good enough. I'm definitely not smart enough, and I don't think there's some people. I think there's some people who don't like me for good reason. <laughs> you know, because you know, Mister Noseblow is not exactly a, always a nice person. All right, we continue. All right. Logan writes, he says, Dear Mr. Roast Brrr. Now. <laughs> now, he says, the burr is for the soon-to-be most uh, common phrase in your household after you move to Midwest. <laughs> he gives me a pro tip here. This is free, by the way. He gave me a free pro tip. He says, buy winter gear. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that, Logan. Yes, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Roseboro and, uh, and children will be buying appropriate winter attire. I, I have winter gear. You do? Yeah, my, my flannel short pants. You're funny. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's terrible. <laughs> You're not rubbing it in, are you, John? No. Yeah, because because I'm I'm not going to the Midwest. Yeah, right. You see, that's the thing is that wearing cargo shorts and uh, and and t-shirts uh, will be something that's seasonal for me rather than all, all year round. He says I'm he, this. He's talking about the uh, the Dark Knight sermon. We're still getting emails on this. People are you know why because. People listen at their own pace. I mean, you realize that for everybody that listens, for every one person that listens live streaming to Pirate Christian Radio, we have more than 100 people who podcast our, our stuff. Anyway, he says uh, he's appalled by the lack of understanding of Old Testament theology by the preacher who, quote, preached the Dark Knight sermon. Can you call that a sermon? I mean, what, what? <laughs> Batman. Seminar? No, that's, that's that, that, that wasn't even a seminar. It was a it was a cinema, a cinema, cinema, cinema. Okay. That would be having gone through Old Testament in in a seminary course about six months ago. One of the most important things to understand is that people didn't trust God enough. They wanted a human king so they could fit in with the other nations at the time. Right? He completely biffed this story. He said it the other way around. People love God so much they didn't want a king. That's not in the Bible. <laughs> <sighs> anyway, uh, so they wanted they they wanted a human king so they could fit in with the other nations. At the time, they were weren't satisfied with God as king. It was not because they didn't have a king that Israel didn't want did what was right in their own eyes. It was because they were the next generation who rejected God. In fact, over and over again, when you read in the Old Testament, one of the recurring themes for you know uh, for the people post Exodus is God having to remind them, I'm the God who took you out of, who brought you up out of Egypt. You know, that I'm that God. And, and people would say, well, I don't know, maybe it wasn't that God. Maybe it was a different God, you know. And, and they were just ornery and contentious sinners. You know, why? Because by nature, we're all born sinful, and um, we hate God by nature. We're spiritually blind. We're spiritually dead. We're at war with God. We're God's enemies. Um, yeah. And that kind of plays out, you know, how the law work for Israel, by the way. I mean, that they were really all righteous throughout their whole history, right? Uh, no. <laughs> anyway, so continuing on here, it, it, let's see here. It was not because they didn't have a king that Israel was uh, right in their own eyes, it was because they were the next generation who rejected God. Every once in a while, when they repented, God sent judges to their uh, just authority uh, to be their just authorities, but when the judges died, so did the Israelites' keeping of the con- conventional uh, conditional covenant with God, and the cycle started all over again. It, it could be wrong. I could be wrong about this, as I'm trying to remember what I learned off the top of my head. By the way, 
if you're going to send me an email, you don't actually have to do things off the top of your head. I don't know if you notice this, but as <laughs> you, as you're writing an email, you're you're capable of actually standing up, grabbing a book, referencing it, typing out the rest of the email. It's not like I'm reading them while you're writing it. Yeah. Google. Yeah. Anyway, just just a just a just a researcher's note there. Um, he says he says I could be wrong about this, but I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. But I believe that that is a good summary. Actually, that was a good summary. He says, I'd like to see a Mr. Dark Knight preacher form a paragraph on theology like that without using Batman. (laughs) Batman (laughs) as examples. Um, How old is he, by the way? (laughs) Twelve? He sounded like it, didn't he? In that sermon, I mean, he really got got excited. Oh, Batman this and Batman that. (laughs) Anyways, I'm surprised that he didn't uh, dress up as Batman. You know... Uh, Logan, it's funny that you would mention that. I actually have video of a pastor who did a sermon on Superman, and uh, he did the sermon dressed up as Superman. Uh, those nice tights, you know, because <laughs> that's what I want to see my pastor wearing. I kid you not. I kid you. I I actually thought about doing a review on that one. I've got it archived somewhere, but uh, I just and it wasn't Halloween. No, it wasn't Halloween, and. I, I, I tell you, it was very painful to watch even slash listen to that sermon because every time I look at my computer screen, there's this little pastor dude dressed up as Superman. <laughs> <sighs> I can just picture that now. Yeah, no, it was not. No, and see, the thing is, is that he, it's obvious he didn't go to the gym. You know, Superman is supposed to have a physique. You know, could you imagine me in a Superman outfit? No. <laughs> no, you can't. I mean, I I'm the un-Superman. Well, I, I don't want to imagine you as Superman. Yeah, it's like I can see some kid going, Superman. Wow, what happened to you? You used to be so thin. <laughs> you know, don't worry, I can still deflect bullets with my uh, six pack. Or actually, it's a one pack. It's a keg. Um, it, <laughs> ridiculous. Anyway, he says, um, beside that, his summary of Samson was just plain stupid, and his use of Batman to try to do something was a joke. Give more credence to a fictional movie than the very real story of Samson. Absolutely. That was our big critique about this. The sermon was is that he was giving – he was more excited about giving movie summaries of Batman, and then when he would get to a Bible story, he would mess it up and biff it. And it wasn't delivered with quite as much oomph. And passion, you know, and and then the story of Samson, yeah, 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 Bible, Bible, blah, blah, you know. <laughs> anyway, it, but then Batman, Batman, um, <laughs> isn't it a sick world that we've gone from reading the sinners in the hands of an angry God sermon to a church to to reading the Dark Knight script, blah blah blah, outrage, blah blah blah, yada yada, disgrace, yeah. <laughs> Seriously, what point are we going to have another church council or, or have elders? With the theological guts to drag this guy, my guess is that he'll be kicking and screaming while preaching on the movie, kicking and screaming out of the pulpit. <laughs> clever. That was very clever. Anyway, here's an interesting question. It, it, is it biblical for a Christian to become part of the church, specifically to change the church and throw out the juvenile pastor? <laughs> my little sinful mind is going, hmm. <laughs> I know several who go to churches that uh, suck in order to change that. Uh, talk about a fight. Anyway, um, all right, so the, the question is, uh, is it biblical for a Christian to become part of a church specifically to change the church and throw out the juvenile pastor? Um, uh, yeah, hmm, okay, that's an interesting question. 
Now, for instance, I'm I'm a, I'm an LCMS Lutheran. I have been for many years. However, I actually did a you know four or five year stint teaching in a Baptist church. Well, it wasn't called a Baptist church, was it? Well, CVC was it was it was for sure a uh, it, the the original church that I was called to teach at. They they installed me as a as a Sunday school teacher was Ocean Hills Community Church. Now, at the time that they called me, they didn't have a head pastor. And uh, the elders called me to preach, uh, to, to, well, to teach the adult Sunday school there. And I ba- I told them flat out, I said, are you sure you want me to teach at your church? And they said, yeah, we, we want you to teach at our at our church. I'm all, you understand, I'm a Lutheran, I'm a Lutheran, I'm an LCMS Lutheran. I said, We're, we don't agree on some things. Yeah, yeah, we know. It's not a big deal. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So uh, I was a Luther- I was an LCMS confessional Lutheran teaching at a, a non-denominational church, and what was I preaching? Law and gospel and Christ and Him crucified. Every chance I could get, and uh, the Sunday school class was doing very well at, at uh, Ocean Hills, and then Skip Heidzik came, and uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Skip Heidzik, uh, Calvary Chapel fame. He came to Ocean Hills Community Church and. Um, let's just say that he shut everything down except for his teaching ministry. And uh, it caused a church split, and uh, a large portion of Ocean Hills left, and uh, and I got drug along with him to the Southern Baptist Church down the street that was getting ready to close its doors. So it became a church just add water kind of thing. And, uh, and, and so I was there, and I was... Preaching law and gospel, Christ and Him crucified, and on top of it, I in the Southern Baptist Church, I was correcting and rebuking the teaching of Rick Warren. Now, um, <laughs> so what was the reason I was there? To be subversive with the gospel. Absolutely, I was there to be subversive with the gospel, and I knew that the the stuff that the the Bible teaches was in conflict with what was being preached in the pulpit, and it caused let's just say some sparks to fly. And it was not an easy situation. And um, they let's just say I think that they had a barbecue and a and a party when I left. At least the pastors <laughs> did. <laughs> no, that that's a little bit of an overstatement. The, the the class was very sad to see me go. But I would say this: um, biblical for a Christian to become part of a, a church. What would Paul do every time he would go into he would breeze into a new town? He would go to the synagogue first, right? Yeah, he would go to a synagogue, and the purpose of him going into the synagogue was to preach Christ and him crucified and announce that, that Jesus was the Messiah and, and reason with them from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. And sometimes they threw him out and sometimes they didn't, right? Um, I would basically say this. Um, I don't – unless there's some kind of a covenant that somebody signs that says that I agree that I will be a member of this church – and that if I dis and if I disagree with the pastor, therefore I uh, then I have to go. If they sign some kind of a covenant that requires them to have unquestioning, uh, uh, unquestioning commitment to the pastor, otherwise they have to leave. Then I would say that I don't have a problem with somebody who wants to stick around in the church and be subversive with the gospel. I like that idea. Okay, but if it requires you to sign something that you're going to outright lie about, then I then that's not good. You know, when I did my stint in the uh, non-denominational church in the Baptist church, it was with full disclosure as to what I was theologically and doctrinally, and I still was able to keep my my teaching gig. Eventually, it came to a point where I was in conflict, 
and the conflict became unbearable at some points. But th- that doesn't matter. You know, they knew what I was, and I and I was uh, I was forthright with it. So um, I love the idea of you know let let's let's be viral with the gospel. <laughs> uh, it could cause all kinds of trouble, couldn't it? it might actually you know, cause some sinners to repent and trust in Christ. By all means, snatch some from the fire. I mean, isn't that the ultimate seeker sensitive? <laughs> Sorry, I think that uh, answer tells a little bit more about the way I think than than anything. But again, if you can do it without without doing going against conscience or doing it under a false pretense, by all means, if you think you can fathom, you know, stomach it, do it. Okay, I wouldn't say it's a it's a wise thing to do if you have a family. That's a tough thing to do. Um, and if you're going to uh, attend a church that is bad with the goal of of helping to bring the gospel and some sound doctrine there, um, I would strongly consider in those circumstances find a good church to attend also where you can be fed the word of God. Um, believe me when I tell you, uh, you need that. And one of the things that really helped me is even though I was teaching at uh, this non-denominational church, well, the whole time I was teaching, I was also attending uh, Faith Lutheran on Sunday nights. And if it wasn't for getting receiving law and gospel, Christ's word and the sacraments every Sunday, you know, you know with you know with sound biblical doctrine, I don't I don't think I I would have burned out in like three months, you know, because it's uh, it's. It's very difficult when you're in a situation where you know you you could potentially get in a lot of trouble because you're preaching the truth. Believe me, there's no lack of persecution of the saints within Christian churches, especially if you understand sound doctrine. All right, uh, Michael Ritzman, our accountant, he practices the dark art of accounting. He says, uh, Chris A. Rose by any other name. Listen to, listening to Songson's sermon, seminar, what was that yesterday? It was terrible. It was awful. It was, it was just really, awful. It was really bad. He says, listening to Chris Songson's seminar brought me to a realization the term self-feeder has been used in reference to mature Christians who have been told to teach themselves. There is now another use of the term. Self-feeders can now be used to mean non-Christians who are encouraged to find their purpose, significance, and meaning and to do something great. Uh, they don't feed on God's word. Rather, they use the principles of man as food to feed their, their self. Instead of denying their self, they're nurturing it by encouraging it and helping it grow. Uh, would that these achievement pastors, and that's a good, it's, maybe that's what it is. It's the achievement gospel. Maybe that's, you know, I'm, I'm banding about different terms here, you know, because we've got the prosperity gospel. This is like a, it's a, an achievement gospel. Okay. Uh, so these achievement preachers instead speak the words of Revelation thirteen ten, which says, "If anyone is able uh, to be taken captive to captivity, he goes. If anyone is to be slain with a sword, of the sword he must be slain." Yeah, that's uh, what significance is found in prisoner, or what if your purpose is to glorify Christ by being martyred? Right. I you know, uh, there's a I I put a spoof uh, successories poster together. It says purpose. You know, what if your per- what if the purpose of your life is only to serve as a warning to others? You know, it shows a ship sinking. You know, (laughs) different people have different purposes. That's for sure. And, you know, the thing is, is that when you think about a life, when you when you color life in a way that, you know, purpose and significance and and God has these this great adventure for you. um, The reality is, is that we all serve our neighbor in the vocation that God has put us in. So if you are a janitor at the local elementary school. 
It doesn't seem like a very adventurous job. It doesn't seem like it has a lot of significance. But the reality is, is that you are serving your neighbor in that mundane job. And I thank God for school janitors. You know, um, these Songson and people like him are, are, would their preaching would cause people to despise janitors because it's not a life of purpose and significance and meaning. And yet Christ tells us that we serve our neighbor in our vocation, regardless of how mundane it might seem. I mean, if there was no janitors in, in, in elementary schools, could you imagine the mess that there would be? So anyway, something to keep in mind. We're going to go into our first break. If you would like to email me, you could do so at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. When we get back, we're going to talk about uh, Marian apparitions. We're going to talk about hell. And eventually we're going to get to um, a sermon from... Guts Church, Pastor Rex Quando. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. My name is Rex, and if you study with my eight-week program, you will learn a self-feeder system that I developed over two seasons of preaching in the Octagon. It's called Rex Quan Do. I need a volunteer to come up here and show that they trust me. Um, here. Okay, you'll do. Come up here. Bow to your pastor. Bow to your pastor! Okay, now I'm going to give you one chance. One chance, people. Turn around. Turn around. All right. Now fall back and I'll catch you. Ow. That was pretty good. Now, listen, everybody. The reason why he fell was because he didn't have enough faith. Go sit down. Okay, when I fall, I fall in slow motion every time. Now, in addition to what you just saw, if you study with my eight-week program, you're going to learn these things. First off, in Rex Quando, we use the buddy system. No more reading the Bible solo. You need somebody watching your back at all times. Second off, you're going to learn to discipline your image. You think I got where I am today because I dress like Peter Pan here? Take a look at what I'm wearing, people. Bible pants. Yeah, you have to be pretty righteous to rock these babies. Do you think anybody wants a roundhouse kick to the face while I'm wearing these bad boys? Forget about it. Last off, my students will learn how to walk on water, heal babies, raise the dead, and be extreme. Now, for only one $300 seat offering, you can sign up right now for my eight-week program here at Guts Church. Hi, I'm Patrick Kyle, a founding partner of New Reformation Press. Just as the first Reformation rediscovered, reclaimed, and restated timeless truths from the Word of God, the mission of New Reformation Press is to reintroduce these truths to the contemporary church and culture. All of our resources are handpicked to ensure that you have the best available biblical and doctrinal materials at your fingertips to help you grasp the treasures of the Reformation and deepen your own understanding of Christ and His work on your behalf. Browse our website at newreformationpress.com. We offer books, CDs, downloadable MP3s, and our very own line of Reformation-themed clothing. Check out the audio presentation, Bible in an Hour. 
absolutely the finest overview of the scriptures that the staff at New Reformation Press has ever heard. Also, Dr. Rod Rosenblatt's presentation, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church, a stunning 200-proof presentation of the gospel for those who have been hurt by the church and discouraged as a result of false teaching. Available exclusively through NewReformationPress.com. Again, that's NewReformationPress.com. This is my relevant, edgy bumper music. You know, I got an email from somebody today asking me to uh, reconsider having edgy rock and roll bumper music. (sighs) One thing I've learned, um, doing a radio program or having a blog or doing anything in the public eye, you're always going to have your critics, and it's impossible to please everybody. You know, so you got to pick your battles, and um, and unfortunately, and when it's you know what I the one thing I did do is I picked tunes that uh, that don't have lyrics. They're, these are specifically royalty free, non lyrical uh, bumper tunes that I got from a a website that specializes in such things. <laughs> and so it's not like you know I'm not playing uh, Van Halen or anything like that. I'll, although that'd be fun, wouldn't it? You know, a little Panama. <laughs> I, I'm afraid that some people might fall over dead if I did something like that. So, yeah, I know you like Panama. Okay, anyway. But, uh, so you can't please all the people all the time. Uh, real quick, uh, I did mention the fact that there's a little brouhaha in the uh, Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod and just wanted to quickly address it. And uh, that has to do with the fact that um, President Jerry Kieschnick, who's the president of the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod, who, uh, well, actually, um, right now there's a brouhaha brewing about the fact that he's basically instructing the uh, Lutheran Church Missouri Synod's high-powered, expensive legal firm to uh, potentially pursue a lawsuit against uh, Todd Wilkin and, and Jeff Schwartz regarding the trademark of uh, the name Issues Etc., and, um, which is kind of interesting because... Uh, issues, etc. The 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 name the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod actually at one point legally owned the trademark on the name Issues, etc. And back in October of 1999, yeah, yeah. So, so we're gonna party like it's 1999. In other words, a decade ago, <laughs> um, they abandoned they legally abandoned their trademark on Issues, etc. And back on March 16th, 2008, uh, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, undisclosed leaders within the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, um, came up with the decision to cancel the Issues Etc. radio program, which really had a large role in uh, helping to bring about Pirate Christian Radio and uh, the radio program that you're listening to now, Fighting for the Faith. And, um, And so they... Abandoned the trademark in October of 1999, in March of 2008. They canceled the Issues Etc. radio program. And there's public records uh, to the effect of them basically, you know, making it clear they had no intention of further using the name. Uh, You know, it's not like they have, it's not like they can't, they they fired Todd Todd Wilkin and Jeff Schwarz and then kept Issues Etc. going as a a going enterprise at KFUOAM. They they didn't. And so... uh, uh, a, a, a lawyer friend of Todd and Jeff, he uh, 
he applied for the trademark because it was dead. It, according to the trademark office, you know, there's a federal, it's a government agency that handles these requests. Um, since the status of it was dead, it was not alive. It was not useful. It was not active. It was dead, dead. He decided that he would breathe some new life into it, Harry Madsen, and he uh, purchased and registered, you know, under his name the uh, the trademark issues, etc. And he licenses the name to Todd and Jeff, uh, you know, to Lutheran Public Radio to use for their their program. And he, I think, he applied for this thing all the way back in in like May of two thousand and eight. And it wasn't until the end of 2008 that uh, Jerry Kieschnick, the president of the Lutheran Church of Missouri Senate, decided that he was going to raise a stink about it and to challenge Harry Madsen's ownership of uh, of the trademark. Well, which kind of leads to, you know, just some basic common sense questions. What do we do here at Fighting for the Faith? We engage in critical thinking. You know, it's what we do. We ask a lot of questions because questions are good sometimes. They help you think. But my question is, why would LCMS president Jerry Kieschnick spend tens of thousands of Lutheran Church Missouri Synod tithe dollars, okay? You can think about it. How does Jerry Kieschnick get paid? Well, ultimately, there's money that are that's funneled from um, individual congregations, which means that there's individuals who are tithing at their churches, who are giving money to their churches, and part of that money makes, it way, makes its way to Lutheran Church Missouri Synod districts, who then... Some of that money then makes its way to uh, to LCMS Incorporated there uh, at the Purple Palace in uh, St. Louis, right? Pur- Purple Palace. Yeah, Purple Palace. Uh, I, I, don't, I think that's a derogatory term, but um, <clears throat> anyway. So my question is, why would LCMS President Jerry Kieschnick spend tens of thousands of LCMS tithe dollars trying to dispute or legally dispute a trademark that the LCMS abandoned in October of 1999 for a radio program that they canceled in March in 2008. It doesn't make any sense. Well, funny enough, um, at ExtremeTheology.com, I have a post called Akishnik's Real Motives, and there you can you can actually uh, download some uh, you can download a document uh, thanks to the the brothers of John the Steadfast, where I'll be speaking, you know, in in, in on. Friday and Saturday, uh, there's they've they've uncovered a lot of the legal documents regarding this, and they actually have them posted as PDFs. And one in particular was rather interesting because in one particular legal document, which I've made available for download, it reveals that the Lutheran Church Missouri Senate has agreed to remove their threatened legal action against Todd Wilkin and Jeff Schwartz um, if they agree to get Harry Madsen to withdraw or abandon his U.S. trademark uh, uh, on issues, etc. And if uh, Todd and Jeff agree to um, basically a gag order that would silence them, uh, make it impossible for them legally to say anything critical or or negative about the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate, or any of its members. So, uh, in fact, the clause in uh, question here, and I've reproduced this at ExtremeTheology.com, it says, uh, assignees, that's the Todd Wilkin and Jeff Schwartz, shall not use any LCMS trademarks or other intellectual proper, property, including without limitation the LCMS mark, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod uh, name, the LCMS logo uh, cross, and the official seal of the LCMS in any manner that suggests an affiliation with the LCMS or disparages the LCMS or in any way casts the LCMS and its mem- members in a negative light. Wow, can you believe that? They literally want Todd and Jeff to agree 
to not to basically to abandon their First Amendment right to free speech and never be able to ever say anything that could potentially be viewed as being said in a negative light against the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Wow. So my follow-up questions to this are, what is President Jerry Kieschnick up to? I mean, why is it so important to Jerry Kieschnick that Todd Wilkin and Jeff Schwartz be silenced by a legal gag order? You know, is is he up to no good and, is, and doesn't want them to have the ability to critically analyze or say something negative about something in his political agenda? You do understand that uh, Jerry Kieschnick is uh, trying to completely reorganize the uh, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, which would give him sweeping and unprecedented and unchallenged power. Um, maybe that's what he's afraid of. Anyways, it just makes you wonder, you know, um, it, it, if Kieschnick is afraid that Todd Wilkins' thoughtful critiques and thoughtful and biblical critiques would cause his latest political maneuverings and shenanigans to um, become a blaze, you know, go up in smoke. Maybe that's what this is really all about. Some food for thought, something to think about. You know, I always love it when church organizations go cancerous. I mean, for heaven's sakes, Todd Wilkin and Jeff Schwartz just want to be left alone to keep doing what they're doing and what they do best. And that's Christ-centered and cross-focused talk radio. And there's none better in the trade than those two. So um, our prayers and our support are with you, Todd and Jeff. Just want to let you know that. All right, uh, today's a very important date. I don't know if you know this. Um, today, 151 years ago, St. Bernadette, she had her first vision of the Virgin Mary at uh, in Lourdes in France. Uh, in, in fact, Lourdes in 1858 was an inconspicuous little French town uh, at the foot of the Pyrenees with the, around 4,000 inhabitants. And one of them was a former miller named... Francois, and I can't say this last name, Soubry, and who had fallen on hard times. He and his wife, Louise, had six children. The eldest was their daughter, Mary Bernadie, known as Bernadette, desperately poor. The family lived and squashed into one small room, and Bernadette spent part of her childhood brought up by her aunt and had a little way of schooling and was able to read and write. Anyway, what happened to her? Well, apparently the Virgin Mary appeared to her on this day in 18... 58. And to which we say, really? Okay, so if the Virgin Mary were to appear to you, what would you as a Christian be required to do? Think critically, catechize the Virgin Mary, make sure that it's not the devil in disguise. Because again, visions like this and uh, experiences like this, they always bring a message along. And you always have to test the message against the word of God, because if the message doesn't test with the word of God, then what you have on your hands is not the real Virgin Mary. You instead have, um, well, Satan himself disguising as not an angel of light, but in this particular case, more like a mother of light, right? And so, which is kind of interesting, because by the way, the Catholic Church is getting a little skittish about all of these Marian apparitions that seem to be happening more and more. And not only that, I mean, not only does... The Virgin Mary appeared to children in you know small, poor towns in France. The you got the Virgin Mary showing up on tortilla chips, toasted cheese sandwiches, you know cement, refrigerator doors, re doors anywhere you can possibly yeah, think of. So uh, <laughs> anyway, the independent news media is reporting that Catholics are now being ordered to keep quiet over Virgin visions. 
<laughs> That's what the headline reads. It says, Catholics who claim to have seen the Virgin Mary will be forced to remain silent about their apparitions until a team of psychologists, theologians, priests, and exorcists have <laughs> fully investigated their claim under new Vatican guidelines aimed at stamping out false claims of miracles. Thank God that the Catholics at least have something to something here to stamp out false claims of miracle. I mean, <sighs> anyway, the, the Pope has instructed the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, formerly the Holy Office of the Inquisition, which, by the way, you know, I'm glad they're rebranding themselves now. The Holy Office of the Inquisition just carries a negative connotation, don't you think, John? <laughs> the Inquisition. Yeah. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. Anyway, um, <laughs> so they've, they've renamed themselves. It's the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith rather than the Office of the Inquisition. They have drawn up a new handbook to help bishops snuff out an explosion of bogus heavenly apparitions. Benedict XVI plans to update the Vatican's current rules on investigating apparitions to help distinguish between true and false claims of visions of, the, of Jesus and the Virgin Mary, messages and stigmata. Stigmata are the appearances of the five wounds of Christ. You know, apparently people can bleed, you know, at, you know, at whenever, uh, at, you know, when their hands and their side and their feet. Anyway, uh, weeping and bleeding statues and the Eucharistic miracles. Monsignor Luis Francisco Ladiera Ferrar. Now, that guy has more names than uh, than me or Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley. This, this, this guy's got one, two, three, four, five. Wow. He was a respected Spanish Jesuit archbishop and former inquisitor. Anyway, he has, <laughs> he, he has been placed in charge of drawing up the handbook known as the uh, Vatimecum, which will update the current rules set in 1978. According to Petrus, an Italian online magazine, which leans towards conservative elements in the Vatican, anyone who claims to have seen an apparition will only be believed as long as they remain silent and do not court publicity over their claims. If they refuse to obey, this will be taken as a sign that their claims are false. Uh, resist resistance is futile, right? Okay, that's what the Borg said. Uh, interesting. If the visionary is considered credible, they will ultimately be questioned by one or more demonologists and exorcists to exclude the possibility that Satan is hiding behind the apparitions in order to deceive the faithful. You know, I wonder if we can, if if these guys do any consulting. You know, I, I understand that they're Roman Catholic, but um, I wonder if if they can moonlight for us to uh, to test the, the claims of Todd Bentley, Patricia King. Joshua Mills and uh, and, and, and the token the Holy Ghost guys. <laughs> Somehow I don't think that those people, though, would agree to uh, be silent while the investigation took place. Anyways, guidelines for the approval of apparitions and revelations were last issued in 1978, and they lay, lay down that a diocesan bishop can either on his own initiative or at the request of the faithful choose to investigate an alleged apparition. He then submits a report to the Vatican for approval. Is this a step in the right direction? Well, I'm glad. Apparently, you know, American evangelicalism isn't the only place where these really ridiculous claims are being made regarding people talking to angels and, and Jesus and stuff like that. It also is running rampant in the Catholic Church, and I'm glad that they're doing something to stamp it out. So, and, I mean, that's positive. Again, I would like to borrow these guys and, uh, you know, see if we can't share some resources. <laughs> but the reality is, is that you have to actually be pretty silly to believe any of the claims from patricia king and those folks all right here here's an interesting uh, <clears throat> get this um over five thousand pastors pledged to keep sermons purely biblical 
Is this good news? Well, yeah, I guess. Uh, you do understand that Rick Warren claims that he's trained over a half a million pastors on how to be purpose-driven, right? You do the math. <laughs> what are we up to, 1%? Anyway, he says, how can a preacher avoid plagiarism in their sermons? Start with the Bible as their primary source for sermon preparation. This is a, a article written by Lillian Kwan in the Christian Post. And so far, nearly 5,500 pastors have affirmed their commitment to do so. Woot. There, is, there isn't a pastor I know that doesn't use other sources outside of the Bible, said Ron Forsyth, a general editor of SermonCentral.com, who claims to be the world's most highly trafficked, trafficked, that's a tough word, trafficked, uh, sermon website. Most look to the wisdom and experience of their preaching colleagues. Yeah, there are so many pastors out there who are just outright ripping off sermons or just downloading them and preaching them directly. You know, it's really awkward when... Uh, when you have one pastor who actually wrote the sermon and the the jokes that he tells in there are, are about his family and you know he says my wife said this or my wife said that and then some some adult actually just completely plagiarizes it and says the same jokes about his wife and his family as if that was really his life's experience believe me i have examples of this i should probably play them <clears throat> tag grandstaff comes to mind anyway um <laughs> man quote the question is what place the bible takes in their sermon preparation and delivery well if you listen to any of the sermons we review here um bible schmeibel who needs a bible <laughs> uh, right uh, forsyth was the first to take the preacher's pledge at the launch of the campaign last year by signing on to it forsyth made a commitment to keep the word of god preeminent in his preaching and to use other resources to enhance rather than replace his personal interaction with scripture apparently uh, uh, Tim Worth at Relevant Church doesn't understand the difference here, and he does it the opposite way. He replaces the Bible and uses the Bible to enhance the Batman story. Anyway, as we encourage every pastor to carefully study the appropriate passages and to make them their own. That is to carefully study and gain a solid grasp of the biblical passages they are preaching, Forsyth commented. Yeah, if you're going to preach on a Bible passage, it's a pretty good, good idea if you read it ahead of time. Don't want to preach it cold. Um, <clears throat> he quote, "Our site is a valuable supplement, but not the primary source for a good for a sermon. God's word is. Maybe they should just take it down for a while. Take down Sermon Central for a while and force. Can you what? <laughs> what would happen if SermonCentral.com crashed and they weren't able to? Uh, you know, pastors around the world wouldn't weren't able to download their sermon for next Sunday. Then they were required to actually <gasps> prepare a sermon from the Bible text." <laughs> Yeah, I, I can see some guys going, it can't be done. It can't be done. There's no way. Anyway. <laughs> so is this a good idea, this this preacher's pledge? Um, I, I have a jaded view of it. What is the state of the Christian church when pastors have to take a pledge to preach the Bible? How, just how far off the rails have we come? And keep in mind, Rick Warren will tell you over and over and over again, he has trained a half a million pastors around the world on how to do purpose-driven preaching and to be purpose-driven. I think we got a long, long, long way to go. Anyway, just my opinion. I want to share that with you. All right. All right. Okay, got a question for you. Um, John, real quick. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is not a trick question. I, I, at least I hope you don't think it's a trick question. Um, would you have a problem with a pastor who said that he wanted to take a baseball bat 
uh, and hit a, a church lady on the head with it and punch a hit a, a, a punch uh, her husband in the face and burn down the organ and the piano and would you would you have a problem with that? I would have a major problem with that. Yeah. Um, would you think that guy was exemplifying the love of Christ? I think that guy's crazy. <laughs> okay. Just want to make sure I'm, you know, because sometimes my critiques, it just could be me being a little bit too narrow-minded. You know, I, I don't want to be narrow-minded. I, I just want to make sure that, you know, in, in God's big happy family of those who are redeemed, those who have repented of their sins and trust in Christ, and the good news that Christ died for our sins, um, that, that p- pastors, that it's not necessarily good pastoral behavior to say that you want to... Well, you know... Psychiatrists sometimes ask their patients, are you hearing voices? Ah, okay. So, you know, if he's being told by God... Right. That's questionable. All right, so here's the deal. The Exponential 09 Conference, which is one of the largest, and I mean the big shindig church planting conferences offered every year, Exponential is the name of it, and Exponential 09, I mean there's a couple thousand guys are going to be traveling to Orlando to discuss the nuts and bolts of, of how to do uh, how to do church planting, right? They've actually asked a guy by the name of Gary Lamb, who is the pastor, um, if you can call it that, pastor of Revolution Church in Canton, Georgia. And uh, this guy's got s- some interesting foibles as a pastor. Um, this is from a, a two-minute uh, segment from a sermon that he preached called All In Living. And the, um, the theme that the... the church was completely decked out in uh las vegas gambling theme but uh listen listen to this and pay close attention at the end here he's talking about what his biggest regret is and uh his his big regret in his life has to deal with the fact of something that he he did when he left a church and listen in and here's the deal at the end of your life you will regret the risk you didn't take. Look what Mark Twain said. 20 years from now, you'll be more disappointed by the thing you didn't do than the ones you did do. So throw off the bowline, sail away from the safe harbor, catch the trade wind in your sails, explore, dream, and discover. 20 years from now, you'll be more disappointed by the thing you didn't do than the ones you did do. Mark Twain understood the difference between the regrets of action and the regrets of inaction. Uh, what's he preaching on Mark Twain for? Uh, sorry. End of your life, you'll regret the risk you didn't take. At the end of your life, the biggest regrets you'll have are not the things you did wrong. It'll be the things you could have, should have, and would have done that will haunt you in your sleep. Not try and leave us wondering how our lives would have been different if we had just seized the moment that was before us. I have so many regrets in my life, and the large majority of them are from things I didn't do. We moved to Iowa and we started a church, and the church grew, and it, I mean, it actually doing great today. The best thing that ever happened at church was that we left it. Uh, I think he's being honest there. Um, <laughs> we continue. Because they have really grown now. But you've heard me refer to that church as the church from hell. Lucifer went to that church, and her husband was there too. You know, I mean, <laughs> that lady was, she was crazy. And at church, it literally almost ruined us. It ruined my wife and I financially. We almost, our marriage almost ended in divorce. And it made me hate Christians. 
and everything to do with the church for a period of time. You know, ministry can be tough. I don't know if you know that. It's not for the faint of heart. Okay, we continue. You know what my biggest regret in that church is? Here it comes. Listen carefully. It's how I left that church. I wish I'd have, if I had to do over again today, this is how I'd have done it. I wish I'd have walked up in that church with a baseball bat, clocked that woman in her noggin, punched her husband in the face, took a baseball bat to those pews, burnt the organ up, set the piano on fire. Um, wow. Um, this doesn't sound like uh, the normal pastorly regrets that I'm used to hearing. <laughs> I remember as a Nazarene uh, hearing pastors say, you know, you don't want to get to the end of your life and have regrets. And they, and, and they would talk about sin and vice and things like that. You don't want to get to the end of your life and regret, you know, a failed marriage or an adulterous affair or, or uh, losing a business or, you know, some egregious failing in morals or, you know, you know what I'm saying? You, you don't want to have those, those hospital bed, deathbed regrets. Apparently his big regret is that he didn't um, take a baseball bat into the church, clock that old lady in the noggin, punch her husband in the face, uh, destroyed the pews with the baseball bat, set fire to the organ and to the piano. And this guy is one of these speakers who's going to be teaching other pastors how to plant churches. The last thing we need right now are for people, pastors, to be like Gary Lamb. Uh, we don't need more of him. We need less of him. When we come back for the break, I'm going to read to you a, a, a letter that he, uh, the pastor Gary Lamb wrote uh, to some crim uh, to a criminal or two, I don't know how many people there was, that, that, that stole one of the church's trailers. Uh, we'll be playing that for you because, again, I, you know, I'm asking the question, why is this guy going to be one of the major conference speakers at the Exponential Conference teaching other pastors how to be like him? Anyway, if you would like to uh, email me, you can do so. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. We will be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, frenzy, turning for the written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. 
My local Christian bookstore just sells Jesus schlock. Where can I find good material? We at NewReformationPress.com are committed to providing a hand-picked selection of books and teaching materials that educate, inform, and entertain while uniquely maintaining a relentless focus on the gospel. We believe that these forgotten doctrines and their scriptural emphases can not only enrich individual Christians and revive the church, but also address the deepest needs of our culture. Discover our growing library of resources by Dr. Rod Rosenblatt of the White Horse Inn radio program, including his powerful address, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church, available exclusively at NewReformationPress.com, or the big-picture audio presentation Bible in an Hour by Pastor Wade Butler. Learn the center and scope of redemptive history and scripture in just one hour. And of course, be sure not to miss our selection of t-shirts, gifts, and artwork as well. NewReformationPress.com. Finally, Reformation Theology Made Accessible. All right, we're back. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. And want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. Which means that we need your help in order to continue getting out this important radio outreach. You can partner with us. Several ways that you can do that. You can send us a check at Post Office Box 791, San Juan Capistrano, California, 92693. Or you can go to fightingforthefaith.com and click on the Donate button. You can pay via PayPal. And so... Again, we appreciate all of you that have uh, been supporting us thus far and uh, would encourage any of you who want to uh, help us out that we could really use your help in order to continue to pay our bills. And we're doing our part. We're actually uh, lowering our financial footprint. Not my carbon footprint, but my financial footprint so that uh, we can continue to uh, bring you Fighting for the Faith. Uh, I want to read to you. uh, uh, We were talking about Gary Lamb before the break and uh, him in a sermon called All In Living, claiming that his big regret that uh, was that he didn't clock a lady with a baseball bat and punch her husband in the face and burn down the organ and all that kind of stuff. And um, again, why are we bringing this up? Well, because Gary Lamb now is uh, going to be one of the major conference speakers at the Exponential 09 Church Planner Conference. And uh, I'm beginning to question whether or not he even should be a pastor let alone teaching other people how to be church planners. I mean, the last thing we need are more Gary Lambs in the world. Anyway, let, to, to kind of further my point, let me um, let me quote to you. Uh, let me read to you a, a letter that Gary Lamb posted on his blog that was written to the person who stole their church's trailer. And uh, this this was not posted that long ago. So July of '08. So you know, but about six seven months ago. Uh, Gary Lamb writes, he says, to the people who stole our trailer, let me say, God loves you. Second, let me say, we forgive you. We really don't want to forgive you, but God says that we should do so. (laughs) Man. Um, (laughs) third of all, I'm not, this is not a joke. This is not satire. Third of all, I want you to know that I think you are, you are scumbags. I think you are low life degenerates who need a good butt kicking. Matter of fact, I feel so strongly about the fact that you need a good butt kicking, butt kicking that I'm volunteering to do it. I hope you believe in God because you should get on your knees and cry out to him like never before because 
If we find you, I can promise we will kick the crap out of you. It won't be pretty. It won't be over quickly, and it will be very painful. I know that doesn't sound very nice, but I feel pretty strongly that that is what I that that is what you need. I am curious what kind of low life you must be. Trust me, I have been around some pretty low ones before, but never ones that would be so low as to steal from a church. I understand you probably need some crack or something like that, but stealing from a church would scare me. It would scare me uh, more once I realized which church I stole it from. We are probably the only church you have ever heard that will honestly break your legs once you are found. Let, let me say again that we do forgive you, but there are still consequences for your sin, and your consequence will be a toting of a butt kicking. It is obvious you are very smart, so let me give you some advice. Get the trailer out of that county quick as and as soon as i hit publish on this blog post <laughs> a church of about a thousand cra crazy people will know that that our <laughs> that our black children's trailer has been stolen and i can promise that they will be out out on the look lookout for you you would much rather uh me find you than one of them best wishes gary lamb Wow. He <laughs> it was so poetic too. My favorite the poetry in this part was uh, I hope you believe in God because you should get on your knees and cry out to him like never before because if we find you I can promise we will kick the crap out of you. It won't be pretty. It won't be over quickly. It'll be very painful. Um that that was so poetic. What it brought a tear to my eye. You know. <sighs> yeah, um this guy needs to um, be out of the pulpit. The, what, how's the saying go? Where there's smoke, there's fire. I mean, if you have a pastor who thinks that this is pastorly behavior that's appropriate for somebody who's supposed to be bringing the ministry of reconciliation, proclaiming the forgiveness of sins won by Jesus Christ on the cross to a world of sinners that God has has granted them full pardon, right? I mean, what does this fall under absolution? Does this fall under uh, penance? What what exactly is he, this is exacting revenge? Falls under threats. Yeah, this is a threat of uh, physical bodily harm. He wants to break their legs. <laughs> Almost an assault. Ay ay ay! I mean, is this legal? Can you can you threaten somebody like this legally? Oh man. Um so keep in mind that uh, for those of you who are thinking about it, attending Exponential 09 that uh, pastor that loving shepherd of his flock the man who just is oozing and dripping with the love of Jesus Christ and the mercy of the gospel and the forgiveness of sins uh will be one of the conference speakers and uh if you've stolen his trailer you may not want to introduce yourself because if you do, you might be getting a royal butt-kicking from Pastor Gary Lamb. <laughs> I, it just gets crazier by the day, doesn't it, John? I, I feel this show is becoming a religious freak show. And <laughs> Anyway, all right, we're going to switch gears, and we're going to continue our march through the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to be looking through uh, Mark chapter 9, which is going to lead us into a little bit of a discussion regarding hell. And uh, N.T. Wright, that uh, theologian of the emergent church, um, 
had some things to say about the doctrine of hell. We'll be listening to him. But before we listen to him, let's listen to Jesus first. And uh, we'll start with Mark chapter 9, starting at verse 38. And keep in mind, again, this is not to show my theological prowess. If you've listened to this show for any length of time, you realize the uh, Roseboro is just Roseboro. Okay, this is to show God's word, get you familiar with it, get you to hear the stories, familiarize yourself with the stories, and convince you that even though you are a layperson, you can teach these stories to your children, to your family, to your wife, to your mother, to your brother, to those who you love. You can actually open up the God's word and teach them. And if you are a father of children, okay, you have a responsibility to be to be the the head of the household and to raise your children in God's word. Mark is a great place to start. It's a good it's a good it's a good gospel for children. Okay? Why? Because it's action packed. All right, we read uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 38. Now, John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Well, do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able to soon afterwards speak evil of me. Well, that's good. Uh, now, the, keep in mind that just because somebody's casting out demons in the name of Jesus doesn't mean that they're a Christian. I mean, there's a great story in the book of Acts about the seven sons of Shiva who... Uh, decided that they were going to cast demons out in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, and the demons decide that they're going to uh, have a little conversation with these these Jewish boys. And they said, uh, Jesus we know, Paul we've heard of, but um, who are you? And now, believe me, if, if there was ever a time when somebody would have a terrifying moment, okay, one of those moments where you realize, oh no, I've bit off more than I can chew, and I am in deep kimchi. It's when a demon turns as, turns to you and says, who are you? <laughs> that That is the sign when you might want to run. Well, apparently they weren't able to run quick enough because uh, this demon-possessed person, the demons overpowered all of these guys and did a Gary Lamb on them, beat them to within inches of their life. And they, they, they were able to make it out of the house with their life, but they, you know, they were beaten and naked at the end of it. So you know, just because somebody... Is casting out a demon doesn't mean they're a Christian, but Jesus is basically saying, "Don't stop them." No one, no one who who says something about or does a mighty work and soon speak evil of Jesus. Just give them a day or two. Uh, for one is not for for one who is not against us is for us. For truly, I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Now, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin. It would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And that sounds like a fun... It's better that he die a mafia drowning, okay? Uh, it would be better for him to... A millstone were tied around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands and go to hell. Now, did Jesus talk about hell there? Yeah, he did. Uh, did Jesus say it's better to go and... To the life crippled, then to go to hell, huh? Uh, to the to the uh, and he describes it. Listen to this: to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. Jesus describes hell as what? Unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than for to, with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes and to be thrown into hell. Uh, where the worm does not die, the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? 
have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. John, just real quick, do you think Jesus actually believed in hell? Definitely. Okay. He keeps describing it as unquenchable fire. Any particular reason why you think he would do something like that? Because you don't want to go. Oh uh, well, yeah, you don't want to go. You think that maybe there's a fire element to hell? There, quite possibly, could be. You know, Revelation describes it as a mm, lake of fire. Did you know that? Yeah. Um. Do you think he's just being euphemistic? Oh, I <laughs> I know I described it as hell, but really, it's actually you know, it's it's not too bad. I don't think so. Uh, you don't think so? Okay. Well, let me read another passage of scripture. Um, the the not the parable, but really the it's the it's the story of the sheep and the goat judgment. I've read it before, but it's always good to um, to reread this particular passage um, because it ends on such a down note. Um, it's a, it says this. Where's that? At, uh, Matthew twenty five verses. We're going to start at verse thirty one. It says, "When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne, and before Him will be gathered." All the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Okay, notice the separation takes place and is decided based on what they are, right? Okay, what they did doesn't come out till later. They're separated by what they are. Um, It says this, and he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, Inherit the kingdom of God uh, prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I stole your trailer, and you did a butt kicking. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it doesn't fit, does it? No. It, the, 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 something's seriously wrong with Gary Lamb. Uh, nah. But that's a different story. Let me continue. All right, so um, so I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, uh, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? See, that's the nature of good works for a Christian. We just do good works because they need to be done. You know, it's not like we're sitting there with, you know, uh, sorry, Michael Ritzman, I apologize, but accounting doesn't work when it comes to good works because uh, if you're engaging in accounting, that's all law, not gospel. So my, my, I apologize to Michael Ritzman ahead of time. But uh, so if you're, if you're keeping track of your, uh, your if you've got like the biblical, you know, if you've got the good works uh, heavenly rewards calculator out and you're using accounting to figure out and tally up your rewards and your good works, uh, those aren't really good works. Okay, good works, most of the time, you don't even realize you're doing them. You're just doing because it, it needs to be done. That's how we do things as Christians. We bear fruit because we abide in Christ. I mean, how can we not bear fruit, right? Anyway, so they said, uh, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And, and when do we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And, and when do we see you sick and in prison and visit you? And then the king will answer them, well, truly, I say to you, as you did to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Okay, now comes the not-so-fun part of the story. Then he will say to those on his left, remember the goats? He will say, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. I was naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison? And not minister to you. And then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, uh, uh, you, 
as you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. And here comes the downer passage. And then these will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Okay. So up in, um, up in verse 41, it says, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Okay, so if you were to hazard a guess, John, as to who is it that's responsible for coming up with this idea that there's going to be a day of judgment and that those who are goats, you know, the things don't go well for them on the day of judgment, are going to end up in a place called hell that is described as an eternal fire or a place of unquenchable fire. Who's responsible for that? I'd say Jesus. Jesus is. Yeah. Okay. Just want to make sure that we... you Okay, you and I are on the same page here. This is a complete kumbaya moment. (laughs) Amazing. Okay, so uh, so it's it's reasonable to say that if you believe in hell and you believe that it's uh, a place of unquenchable fire or an eternal fire... Um, other passages describe Jesus describes it as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, really not a place you would want to go. I mean, so if you if you preach about the fires of hell, is that a man made invention or is it Christ's invention? Uh, well, that's a Christ one. And remember, it's B again. Okay, yeah, yeah. I gotta mix these up. I gotta come up with a C or something. You know, <laughs> is it A? Is it? <sighs> man, I, my quizzes are not that hard. It's a good thing for me. <laughs> All right, so with that in mind, um, I want to now play a YouTube video. Um, uh, it's, and it's, it's of N.T. Wright. It's just a few minutes long, and it's called, What is Hell Like? Does It Even Exist? N.T. Wright. All right, and it's from Huntley Street. Um, Three. Here we go. The word hell has had a checkered career in the history of the church, and it wasn't hugely important in the early days. It was important, but not nearly as important as it became in the Middle Ages. Uh, hold on a second here. Does it, okay. It wasn't hugely important in the early days. Um, anything that Christ taught, wouldn't that be important? Yes. <laughs> okay, I just want, I, maybe I have a different understanding of uh, the word important. Now, I do understand that during the medieval period, Okay, and in medieval Europe, hell, there was this complete fascination with this whole concept, and there's there's a lot of artwork that comes out of the, uh, out of the Dark Ages, if you would, that it has this these terrifying pictures of be, people being eaten up by demons and being thrown in, with pitchforks into a flaming inferno and stuff like that. But I, you know, that particular emphasis on the teaching of th- of hell, I think, has a lot to do with the complete lack of understanding of the gospel. Uh, by the Roman Catholic Church during the medieval time. Uh, They were preaching a completely works-based religion, and you had to be a good Catholic, you know, who who was confessing all of his venial sins and not committing immortal sins, um, you know, in order to have just a chance of getting into heaven, right? All right, well, we continue. And in the Middle Ages, you get this polarization of heaven over here and hell over there, and you've got to go to one place or the other eventually. Stop. No, wrong. Didn't we just read Jesus saying that the sheep on the right, goats on the left, and, you know, the sheep end up in, you know, rewarded, and the goats end up in this hellish, fiery, unquenchable fireplace? Yeah. 
Um, no, I, so N.T. Wright, you're wrong. This, this, excuse me for pointing this out here, but uh, Jesus is the one who said that, who kind of polarized heaven and hell. All right. So you have the Sistine Chapel um, with that great thing behind the altar, this enormous great judgment scene with the, the souls going off in these different directions. Very interestingly, I was sitting in the Sistine Chapel just a few weeks ago. I was sitting for a service, and I was sitting next to a Greek Orthodox Archimandrite who said to me, looking at the pictures of Jesus on one wall, he said, these I can understand. And the pictures of Moses on the other wall, he said, those I can understand. Then he pointed at the end wall, the judgment. He said, that I cannot understand. As this uh, Greek Orthodox, Akadromendite, whatever it is, um, is he not familiar with Matthew 25? That that's how you in the West have talked about judgment and heaven and hell. He said, we have never done it that way because the Bible doesn't do it that way. Uh, didn't we just read where the Bible did it that way? Did I miss something? <laughs> how does somebody make a claim? This, can, somebody as important as Bishop N.T. Wright, the Bishop of Durham in the Church of England, can he make a claim that the Bible doesn't discuss heaven and hell in the day of judgment? It's that Reader's Digest yeah. Bible. They had to cut some things out. Reader's Digest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah or, need, or maybe the Thomas Jefferson one. I'm, well, I'm not sure. We need to send a harshly worded letter to the people who are publishing the Reader's Digest Bible. <laughs> Apparently they're, they're leaving some important things out. And uh, shame on you, Bishop of Durham, for reading that version of the Bible. So, whoops. I think he's right, actually. And whether you're Catholic or Protestant, that scenario which is etched into the consciousness of Western Christianity really has to be shaken about a bit. Because if heaven... Uh, wait a second. Western Christianity and Eastern Christianity... Wait a second. I'm just going to point something out here. Um, it's a false dichotomy. There's neither Western Christianity or Eastern Christianity. There is Christianity. Okay? And there is true Christianity, and there's false Christianity. There's sound doctrine, and there's false doctrine. But, you know, it, it just might be that the Eastern Orthodox Church, maybe they're subscribing to an unbiblical view of this. Right? That's the... that's. It's not like, uh, if you get this wrong... Uh, we continue. ...and Earth are to join together... It's not a matter of leaving earth and going to heaven. It's heaven and earth being joined together. And then hell is what happens when human beings say to the God in whose image they were made, we don't want to worship you. We don't want our human life to be shaped by worshiping you. We don't want our, who we are as humans to be transformed by the love of Jesus dying and rising for us. We don't want any of that. But that's what we all do by nature. <laughs> Um, let me read another passage, because I, I just, you know, why is it that I feel like the same doctrines are under attack all the time? It's, it's as if there's nothing new under the sun. Isn't that what Solomon said? Never mind. Paul writing in Ephesians chapter 2, he says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath and like the, re like the rest of mankind. That, that's pretty clear. Um, we were... Um, 
objects of wrath and like the rest of mankind. And by nature, we were that. Um, let's see here. Let me read this. Let's see. Oh, I... Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access. Romans 5. Uh, by faith into this grace in which we stand and in which we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, if we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance, hope, and character, uh, and character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the go- for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would scarcely would die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more will we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Um, over and over and over again throughout the scriptures, we read that we are sinners and that we're being saved from the wrath of God, that we are by nature sinners. You know, you want to know the reason why you have a hard time doing the right thing? And I'm speaking really lightly with you because you and I both know it's not that you just have, you struggle from time to time and it's a little bit of a difficulty or a hindrance you doing the right thing. You have to struggle to do the right thing, period. Because the wrong thing is the thing you just want to do and you are an expert at doing it. Why? Because you are a sinner. So what is this talk that he's talking about here? I'm going to back this up because um, N.T. Wright, he sounds so educated and so scholarly, but what he's saying doesn't jive with scriptures. It's like he's missing the point. Heaven and earth are to join together. It's not a matter of leaving earth and going to heaven. It's heaven and earth being joined together. And then hell is what happens when human beings say to the God in whose image they were made, we don't want to worship you, we don't want our human life to be shaped by worshiping you. Hell is what happens when people say they don't want to worship God? I mean, are we living in hell then? <laughs> we got six billion people running around the planet pretty much saying they don't want to worship God and have their life shaped by that, by nature. Are we in hell then? Hell is what happens? That's a strange way to talk about hell. Isn't hell a place? That's how I read it. A place of unquenchable fire. Uh, Sounds like some place you go. Yeah, it sounds like a destination. It it doesn't sound like something that happens. Oh, what happened here? Well, hell happened here. Really? Hell happened here? How does hell happen? I mean... We should get a bumper sticker and hell happens. We continue. We don't want our who we are as humans to be transformed by the love of Jesus dying and rising for us. We don't want any of that. We want to yeah, by nature. stay as we are and do our own thing. And if you do that... Yeah, it's because we want to be our own gods, by nature. What you're saying is you want to stop being an image-bearing human being yeah we say that from the moment we're conceived i'm not interested in being an image bearing human being i i want to be my own god i want things to be my own way and i'm going to do what i want to do because i want to do it because it's all about me 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 and i don't want that god imposing his stupid rules on me and telling me what i can and can't do is that what we all say by nature maybe this is only what happens when hell happens the, we, we need a bumper sticker hell happens 
within this good world that God has made. And you are colluding with your own progressive dehumanization. I'm colluding with my own human dehumanization. What does that sentence mean? How do I collude with my own human dehumanization? I don't know. Where is this dehumanizing human that I'm colluding with? It, wouldn't that just be sinful old me? You know what's so funny is is that you know you put you you put a British accent on it and put the word scholar and bishop of Durham in front of it and it sounds really educational and spiritual but you know um but then Roseboro gets a hold of it and it starts to go maybe that he's talking gibberish right these sentences don't mean anything hell happens hell happens Hang on a second here. Let me back this up. I want to hear more about my colluding with my dehumanizing whatever thing. And if you do that, what you're saying is you want to stop being an image-bearing human being within this good world that God has made. And you are colluding with your own... Good world that God has made? Isn't the nature fallen too? The na the, the, the world, the, the creation groans under the curse waiting for the revelation of the sons of God, Scripture says. Progressive dehumanization. And that is such a shocking and horrible thing that it's not surprising that, again, the biblical writers and others have used very vivid and terrifying language about it. But Jesus did. Je Jesus used very vivid and terrifying language about it. He kept talking about it as this... Eternal torment, weeping and gnashing of teeth, eternal fire. It wasn't the biblical authors. It was Jesus recording what he said. Many people have again picked that up and said, this is a literal description of reality. And somewhere down there, there is a, a lake of fire and it's got worms in it and it's got serpents and, and demons and, and they're, they're coming to get you. And I think actually the reality is more sober and sad than that which is this progressive shrinking of human life and you've got to be kidding me where in the scripture does it talk about this progressive shrinking of human life that happens during this life but it seems to me if somebody resolutely says to god I, i'm not going to worship you and it's not just not coming to church it's a matter of deep down somewhere there is a rejection of the good creator God. <laughs> really? Deep down somewhere, there's a re that's what we do by nature. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. You know, abandoning the word of God, liking themselves to be wise, they become fools. We continue. Then that is the choice that humans make. In other words, I think human choices in this life really matter. We're not just playing a game of chess where tomorrow morning God will put the pieces back on the board and say, okay, that was just a game. Now we're doing... So this is great news. He actually believes in a real dehumanizing hell that happens. There's real consequences. Well, thank God for that. Woohoo! He believes in real... What's the consequence again? Oh yeah, hell happening. And I'm contributing to or colluding with my own dehumanizing human. Something different. Um, the choices you make here really do matter. I, there's part of me that would love to be a universalist and say, it'll be all right, everyone will get there in the end. Um, I actually think the choices you make in the present are more important than that.
<laughs> is it me or does it sound like he doesn't agree with Jesus on the doctrine of hell? I don't think he agrees with the scriptures. No. All right. Just, that's an N.T. Wright is the uber theologian of the emergent church movement. Hell happens? Well, you know, it I might, might be a little bit too negative, hell might be. It, it really? Yeah, maybe. So hell isn't a place, it, it's something that happens. I have no idea what that means. I just, and I, biblically, I have no concept of what it is he's talking about. We just read two major sections of scripture where Jesus makes it pretty clear, unquenchable fire, lake of fire, you know, things like that, right? Mm -hmm. Eternal punishment. And it's not... Uh, there's some folks there are some real consequences for our sin they're huge okay with his theory why do you want to become a christian other than to be a good person well, I, what if i'm comfortable in including with my dehumanizing human self i mean I, I i like me i'm pretty comfortable with my sin that's kind of the problem i'm very comfortable with it i kind of like my sin I think God gets in the way of, of me being able to enjoy my sin more fully. This idea that God's watching and, and he's going to punish me and that, that that my sin has earned his wrath. That's no fun. That's the point, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just want to make sure I wasn't, you know. Anyway. <sighs> There's no real hell in his idea of hell it just hell is something that happens whatever anyway we're going to switch gears here and we're going to uh, listen to a sermon delivered by our good friend pastor rex quando also known in real life as bill Shear. and this particular sermon is uh called uh, our advocate and um the reason i picked this one is because i want you to hear his theology and we're going to talk about a theology that ultimately causes despair. Tis true. All right, we 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 pick up uh, Pastor Bill Shear from Guts Church. Okay, I'll help you plan it out. Guts Church in Oklahoma. If you're not organized and you're not detailed, man, just listen to me, okay? All you got to do is just is do those things, and life's going to be simple. You know, how many of you guys get behind sometimes? You get behind in life. You get behind your finances. You get behind with your health. You get behind regarding your weight. You get behind in your, in your marriage. You get behind at work. You get behind at school. You start falling behind. And, and I think that the difficult thing with that is, is we think that there is just one thing that we can do and just one that, that, that honestly would jump us up. And, and let me just explain this to you. Is that, man, when you begin to fall behind, if you get... If you get behind by a run in baseball, man, a, a home run puts you back in the game. Okay? You get behind by two or you get behind by ten, man, it's not, you're not just going to be able to get back out in front with one swing. And see, what we've got to understand now is when we begin to get behind, the further behind you get, listen, the further that separates you from your hope. And then you get to a certain point, and I believe all of us have that watermark of, of, of hope in our lives, that we get to that certain point where we begin to defer our hope. And the Bible says def hope deferred makes the heart sick. You know, we're, we're hoping something's going to happen, or we hope something will, there'll be an outcome different than what we're expecting. Well, what I've found is what you expect is what the outcome's going to be. You know, and, and the way you think is the way you are. And the, the way you speak is what you're going to have. It's how you're going to live in your life. But 
I think too often that people... All right, what you're hearing here is uh, the building of a foundation of a prosperity word faith type of teaching. Okay, what you think and what you say is what you are. That you, what what you speak becomes reality. All right, that's what's going on here. We continue. People get far enough behind that they just lose hope. And I want to I want to talk to you and, and address that today regarding specifically health. Yeah, you heard that right. This sermon is supposedly about uh, being able to have the right uh, thoughts and faith so that you can have health. We continue. About people that have lost hope regarding health. Let me tell you, I have staples in, of doctrine that I live by, that I, I preach by, that I lead this church by, that are non-negotiables. Man, one non-negotiable is, no matter how good a person is on this earth, there's only one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus. No matter how good another... another cult- I mean, that sounds good. Yeah, yeah. All right, we're, we're in agreement. Okay, this, uh, that's a doctrine. We'll go, okay. So on its surface, we, we sound like we're in agreement. I'd like to know who you think Jesus is um, and what he's done, uh, but let's continue. Culture or another religion or another, another belief system is, no matter how good a person it is, there are none good enough except those that have, have Jesus as Lord of their lives. Okay, I believe that, and I believe that. That was a little weird. There is none good enough except for those who have Jesus as Lord of their lives? Those are some sentences that need to be parsed. We continue. That, that makes us new creations in Christ. I also believe that, man, God's will is that none should perish, that nobody's too far gone to get their life right with God, to make Jesus the Lord of their lives. Okay. I also believe- uh, hold on a second here. Um, so apparently the way you make your life right with God is you make Jesus the Lord of your life. Okay. Believe that it's God's will that, man, that we be baptized and, and filled with His Holy Spirit, and that that everybody collectively, man, that that we have the innate ability as born again, spirit filled people to pray in an unknown tongue, and that builds us up at our most. What? what, what? Okay, so uh, every one of us, every one of us, has the ability to pray in an unknown tongue. Is that what Scripture says? Not at all. No. In fact, it says quite the opposite. It, Paul asked the question, are all prophets? No. no. Are all teachers? No. no. Are all workers of miracles? No. No. Do all speak in tongues? No. no. Okay. A little bit of biblical work here will help you out a long, long way. And, and where is that Scripture at, Chris? Uh, well, let me find it. It's in, it's, I think it's in 1 Corinthians 12, but let me, I may be wrong. Hang on. 1 Corinthians 12. Let's see. Um, yeah, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, 27 through 31. It asks, Paul says, Now, you are the body of Christ, individually members of it, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues are all apostles. The Greek there, it has the, the particle may, which means that the question being asked is to be understood as uh, being answered in the negative. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. 
So what Bill Shear just said here, that he one of his non-negotiable doctrines is that we all are filled with the Holy Spirit and have the power to speak in unknown tongues. Is that biblical or unbiblical? That's unbiblical. Yeah, in fact, it absolutely flies in the face of what the clear passage of Scripture says. Okay, let me back it up just a little bit so we can keep our context with Pastor Rex Quando here from Guts Church. It's God's will that... Man, that we be baptized and, and filled with this Holy Spirit and that, that everybody collectively, man, that, that we have the innate ability as born-again, spirit-filled people to pray in an unknown tongue and that builds us up in our most holy faith and is assigned to unbelievers. Uh, no, it's not assigned to unbelievers. Again, this is an exact flip of what the Bible says. Um, in fact, do I really want to get into this? <laughs> um. Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 14, Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? That's 14.6. Verse 7, If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, uh, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world. None is without meaning. But if I don't know the meaning of the language, I'll be a foreigner to the speaker and a speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. In other words, stop speaking in tongues. Um, therefore, if one who speaks in a tongue should pray, he should pray for the power to interpret. Okay. And uh, the, the, listen to this, verse 16. Otherwise, if, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in, your, in, a, in a position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? For you may be giving uh, thanks well enough, but to the, pers- the, to the other person is not being up, uh, built up. <laughs> okay? So the, out- <laughs> the person would think you're crazy if you're speaking in tongues and Bill Shear is saying every Christian can be filled with the spirit and speak in tongues. The Bible says, no, that's not the case. And he's saying that it's a sign for unbelievers. No, it's not. The unbeliever is going to think you're a nut job. That's Paul's argument in first Corinthians 14. Okay. So he's this, but this isn't even the meat and potatoes. This is just the side dishes on this sermon. That God's filled us with, filled us with his spirit. Man, I believe that everything in life, Ministry especially is designed to flow through the local church. I believe family is. I believe relationships are. I believe that, that, that ministry, I believe the dynamics are designed to flow through the local church. I believe the way that the church goes is the way the country's going to go. The way the church goes is the way the world's going to go. We can look at the, our country. We can look at the world that we live in. And you know what? We can take a step back and say, okay, we need to take 10 to our knit and we need to take care of our own yard first. You know, and I think that that's vital and that's important. You know, the world is crying for change. And, and, and I believe that we are those that are the voices in the wilderness and the voices to our culture to lead that change. I believe that this is an opportunity. Why is it that everyone wants to preach about change? You know, here's the deal. Uh, folks, we as Christians are called to preach the gospel. And leave it up to God what God wants to do. You, you know what I'm saying? I mean... Here's the deal. We are called to go and proclaim Christ and him crucified, to preach the gospel, to call men to repentance and to receive the forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus Christ. And will that change the world? Yeah, yeah, at times it does. Um, at other times it just gets people persecuted and killed. 
you know, it's not our job to decide whether or not we can change the world. Changing the world's I'm just a guy. I'm just a, a guy on a radio program that broadcasts on the Internet. Change the world? I'd rather preach Christ because it's through the preaching of the gospel that God transforms goats into sheep. It's through the preaching of the gospel that God gives faith to unbelievers. That It's through the preaching of the gospel that people receive the forgiveness of sins won by Jesus Christ on the cross. Does that change the world? Maybe not. Maybe it just changes someone's life. But it's not my job to do it anyways, because what am I? I'm just a mouth. We continue. Like I have never seen before in history, man, for the church to take its place, for the church to step up and be the ordained entity that God's called to reach people. See, that's what this whole thing's about. This whole thing is about getting a living, flourishing Jesus to a dying world. And that's what the church is about. I believe everything flows through the local church. I believe in the sanctity of the local church. I believe that if, if we as a local church and lo- local churches all over the world step up and be who God's called us to be and do what God's called us to do. How about teach what God's called us to teach and not contradict what he's called us to teach? I think that's important too, don't you? I mean, he he has good intentions here. I, I mean, I... I share some of his uh, passion. Uh, but the problem is, is that if we're going to reach the world, we've got to reach him with the right message, with sound doctrine, the actual real biblical Jesus, and the real biblical gospel. <sighs> we continue. And be about his purpose. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you, AIDS will be in the rearview mirror. Poverty will be in, world hunger will be, be, be taken care of. But, but I'm- Really? We preach the gospel and AIDS will be in the rearview mirror and, po- and poverty and hunger will be... Whoosh. What did Christ say about uh, the he, poor? He, he did say that the poor will always have with us. Yeah. You're just you're quibbling about details. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't try. See, it's a lot in. Uh, never mind. I'm telling you, it's time for the church to rise up. It's time for the church to take its place. Another staple, another direct part of the doctrine of my life is that God's the healer. That God heals all the time, everybody, no matter what. It's a blanket statement. That God withholds no good thing to those who walk uprightly. That if we come to God and make a request known to him, you know what? I believe that he gives us everything that we ask for. Okay, stop. Listen to this carefully. He believes that we ask something of God, he gives us everything that we ask for. Now, remember, in past programs, we've talked about the word but being a verbal eraser. Okay? Keep that in mind. But has a funny way of erasing the words in front of it. Okay, God wants, loves you, and and, and he he wants to save you, but, but um, you have to make a decision for him. Okay, you see, sometimes it can be that it can become a verbal eraser. So let's see if this if he uses a verbal eraser here, and if he erases what he just said, or if there's a contingency upon this that uh, is kind of interesting. We continue. Because it's in his nature and it's in his, it's in his, his, his culture. It's in his template. But see, the problem with this is... The, but see, he just said it. Is that the only way that we, we receive from God is by faith. Oh. See, God wants to heal you and he wants to give you everything you want that you ask of him. But, you see, he, does it, he only does this by faith. 
what does he just turn faith into? A work. He's tur- he, this is that's the slippery little thing about the prosperity gospel, is that it turns faith into a work, rather than trust. Okay, if you have enough faith, and read into that, if you're doing enough of the right things and you believe hard enough and good enough, and you're and you, you're engaging in righteous enough living. My my faith bank account. You're right. I gotta have a big you, faith exactly, bank account. Exactly, exactly. A big old, big old faith bank, not a small. And see, you have to, and see what you got to do is you have to have a bucket too that's big enough to receive the blessings that God. And it has to be a big one, not and not a small tin cup, because that pays for whatever uh, I'm getting. Right, exactly. And so, so if you have enough faith, then you can have these things, which ultimately leads to this problem. Okay, John, I noticed you're wearing glasses. Yeah. Okay, how's your eyesight? Well, I'm wearing glasses. <laughs> now, I took mine off. Yeah. I have a new prescription. I think that was giving me the headache, the headache I had today. Um, yeah, I, I, I had the unfortunate, uh, unfortunate experience of going to see the eye doctor, and the eye doctor saying, oh, wow, your eyes have gotten worse. <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, your eyesight's not so good. Well, no, it's it's and it's gotten worse as I've gotten older. So is mine. Uh, I notice you have gray hair. A few gray hairs, yeah. yeah. Okay, all right. Mainly in my beard. Yeah, and you don't look like um, a twenty-year-old bodybuilder. Uh, that would be definite. <laughs> okay, so is it safe to say that you and I, not being young, strapping teenagers, we're probably closer to dying than than some people. I would imagine. Okay. Yes. Now, here's the problem is, is that as our bodies begin to wind down, for some people, they get to experience a slow and painful wind down. Okay. Let's say that an organ gives out or worse, they're diagnosed with like a cancer that that is going to take five years to kill them. Okay. Yeah. We've, we've all seen this happen to loved ones or you know, family or, or friends or whatever. Um, so let's say that you have the unfortunate unfortunate uh, experience of going to the doctor this week and the doctor says, John, I hate to say this, but that lump that we removed, it's cancerous. And uh, yeah, the prognosis is not good. You've probably got three years to live. Okay. Now you attend Bill Shears guts church and guts church. He's telling you that uh, God is going to give you everything that you asked for, but you have to have faith, right? So basically you say, okay, well, uh, I want to keep living. I don't want to die from cancer. I love Jesus too, and I want to, you know, and I want to have these things because he's my pastor's promising me that I that God wants to give me this healing, right? So that's what it sounds like he's uh, saying. Yeah. Okay, but so what happens is is that you believe and you tr- you try to muster up whatever level of faith that you think that you're supposed to muster because he's turned faith into a work. Um, and it turns out that, uh, you go to the doctor a year later, the doctor says it's worse in not, rather than having two more years to live, you probably got six months. What do you think about your faith at that point? Well, I don't have enough. I've, I have screwed up. You've done something wrong. Yeah. It's my fault. Okay. Um, and if you come to that situation, it'd be logical for you to basically say that God doesn't love me. I've done something wrong. I'm not good enough. And you can abandon the faith at that point. That's right. Or, or this God thing doesn't work. Right. God's not real. Right. Maybe he should give, have a tithe challenge for those who, uh, anyway, you can't get your money back. So we continue. The way you make Jesus the Lord of your life is by faith. The way you get filled with the Holy Spirit. You make Jesus the Lord of your life. See, this is, a, this is a very tricky works scheme. It is by faith. The way you receive God's healing power is by faith. See, we look at this and we, we, we understand that we have deferred our hope. And I also understand that there are those out there that have said, 
that that was just for the first century. That was just miracles were, were for before the Bible was in, 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 in written form to where people could take it and they could communicate with it. And man, and it was the, the miracles were for that, but, and tongues were was for an unknown tongue. The baptism of the spirit was for that. But, but now that we've got the Bible, we don't need that. And I'm telling you, Hebrews 13, eight says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what does that have to do with healing? Okay, with with turning faith into a work, and if you have enough faith that Christ has to heal you, do you remember the story? Uh, in it's Acts chapter three. There's this this the guy who the layman who can't walk, and he's 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 laid at the temple gate, the the, the gate called Beautiful. Uh, it says in the text that he was there day after day after day. Apparently, if that's true, then Jesus walked by that guy many times and never healed him. Interesting, isn't it? We continue. Said all this stuff, but you know what? Man, I'm telling you, God's word will never cease. Not only was God's word designed for what it was printed, but John 1 1 says, In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. See, we look at this, and I'll tell you, sometimes when, when I get to this, it's, it's almost the. God is Jehovah Rapha. I, I, I've got so much passion and such a desire and such a heart to get people to, to the express image of God as the healer. Sometimes I get mad about it even. Man, and sometimes I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm mad when I preach. And I, no, I don't want to get Rex Quando mad. I mean, he, he might give me a roundhouse kick to the face or something. Man, I want to deliver this. You know why? Because there's people out there that are praying, well, if it be thy will, or, or God put this on you to teach you, or to, man, or, or I'm better off now that this happened to me. And Man, all those things might be well and good, but I'm just telling you, I want to live my life by what God's word says, period. Uh, no, actually you don't, because we're, we're only 6 minutes 57 seconds into this thing, and we're already, we've already shown from the clear teaching of the scriptures that you are in direct contradiction to what the word says on several of your non-negotiable doctrines, uh, Pastor Quando. I believe that the Old Testament's a type and shadow of what's to come. I believe that the Gospels are a bridge that take us from the Old Covenant to the New and Better Covenant. Everybody say New and Better. Wait, wait, wait. The Gospels are a bridge to the New Covenant? I, I thought the Gospels were the New Covenant. Big difference, though, isn't that? The bridge and it actually being it? Okay, and we continue. Because that's what the Word calls it. The new and better covenant. I believe that the Gospels bridge that and repair that breach that because, because of the fall of man, by, by sin and disobedience, man was separated from God. And through the obedience of one, Jesus, man, that separation was eliminated. And the Bible says that that veil was rent. It was torn from the top to the bottom. And, and now there's no separation. That veil's still there. It's just torn now. See, it's not seamless anymore. We can, it's not that we're on the outside looking in and crying out saying, God, how about, some, how, about, how about some help? How about some? No, now we have access to him. Jesus said we can, we, can, we can walk in and we can walk out. Man, we can find pasture. But he's got to be that entry point. He's Wait a second. Pasture, isn't that the soaking prayer thing? 
Never mind. He's got to be that door. He's the door for the sheep. And see, we have to understand this. We have to look at it now. Man, we're not on the outside looking in. See what that barrier of separation is now? It's deception and it's darkness. And see, we look at it, we think, man, we've got, because we have, we have senses, because we feel symptoms, man, those, those symptoms sometimes become overbearing. And then we get, we get people that will confirm those symptoms and, and they'll try to give us a, the odds of, of how long we'll make it or if we'll even make it through the symptoms. And I'm telling you, those symptoms are just designed to let you know that it's time to activate God's word. Is he preaching a mind science cult type of theology? Mary Baker Eddy's uh, Science and Health and Key to the Scriptures. You know that uh, is this like this like Scientology? You know, sickness isn't real. It's just a psychological problem. In this particular case, sickness isn't real. It's just it's time to activate your faith. It's time to, to, to take a stand off of how you feel or off of what your circumstances dictate and take a stand and drive a stake in the ground in God's promise. See, and I look at it and, and, I, and, I, and I ask myself continually, is God able? We know he is. And I'm not one of those people that very sloppily and very flippantly say, well, oh, sure he is because God can do anything because I don't believe that. I don't believe that God can do anything. I believe that God can do what his word says he can do. And where in his word does he promise to heal you every single time? Uh, by the way, um, how many of the apostles are still alive? That would be zero. What? Yeah, yeah. They, they all died. Are you serious? Mm-hmm. How is that possible? Well, the wages of sin is death. Death. Because the Bible says that God takes counsel in his word. God checks with his word. But then you know what we can do? We can put a demand on this inheritance that God's given us. Really? I can put a demand on the inheritance? Are you serious? You hear the language here, and it demand on the inheritance. What is inheritance? It's a gift. And the way you get it is somebody lovingly and graciously wills it to you and then dies. And supposedly he wants to put a demand on, before the will's even read, he, he wants to put a demand on the inheritance? Okay. Do you understand that the inheritance, that it, an aspect of the inheritance that God's given us is, is divine health, is health to our bodies? And I understand that they're, the, the culture of the church and, and, I, and I know that pe- there's people out there that get sick and die. And, I'll be- and you're going to too someday, Pastor Quando. Uh, he's got a fairly large church. I bet you anything, there's some sick people there. Yeah, does he not go to ho- does he not go on hospital visits? I don't know. Well, let's continue on. Be real honest with you. It's grieving to me. It's way too many in number. And you know, and, and then we've got to explain it, and we've got to what we've got to do is we've got to we've got to come off of God's word to be able to explain. But the but the bottom line is, without faith, it's impossible for us to please God. And notice what he's done there. He's turned faith into a work, and you have to kind of muster it up from within yourself. 
Yet Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 say that faith is a gift from God. It's a gift. He's turning it into a work, and not only that, he's undermining saving faith by basically making it so that if you're sick, it's grieving him. You're letting Pastor Kwando down. I mean, he's the one who wears the Bible pants. You can't let him down. We received Jesus by faith. Man, I didn't see some long-haired, bearded guy with sandals get into my heart, but I know he's in there. See, I didn't, the, 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 the Holy Spirit didn't come in some kind of physical form into my life. No, you know what? But I know he's in there. And God's word, it's, yeah, it's, it's printed in a book just like a bunch of other books and a bunch of other words. But, man, it comes alive and it comes into my, it, it, it takes dominion in my heart and in my life. And I know it's in there. And everybody in here could draw a weapon and point it at me and to get me to deny. And I'm not going to do it. Man, I know that the word's alive. I know the word's real. I know God's promise is true. Yeah, you just don't understand what the promises really are. Okay. See, the, the word... He's got faith in something. Just kind of the wrong thing. Word, the word even says that God's promise is yes, and his promise is amen. And we just have to figure out what that promise is, because let me tell you what that promise is. That promise is a door to his presence. See, and we look at this... The, I, I, I know that it's, it's not God's will for any to perish. I know that, that Jesus, in Acts the 10th chapter, it says that Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were infirm to the enemy. See, I look at this and I think, you know, the symptoms that come into my body and the symptoms that come into your body of illness or disease or affliction, man, all those are just signs that the enemy's trying to get in. Maybe it's a sign that I'm a sinner going to experience payday for the wages of my sin. You know, we Christians, our hope is not in perfect health here now. It's in the resurrection of our bodies. We will be like Jesus when he returns, the scripture says. So we Christians believe in something called the resurrection. That's, you know, perfect health. Sinless life uh, and whatever demands you place on the inheritance who cares the inheritance will come to you and i bet it'll be more ridiculously great than you could ever imagine and then what you've got to do is you've got to either come down off of that wall that nehemiah was on that same wall that nehemiah was on he had a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other hand and he said i'm not coming down off this wall i'm doing a great work for god what wall is he talking about Nehemiah on the wall, what does that have to do with health? The rebuilding of the wall in Jerusalem after the exiles returned from Babylon? That has to do with health in what way? See, all that sickness is designed to do is to get you off that wall. And see, what we've got to do is we've got to stop deferring our hope. We've got to put all of our hope in him. We've got to make a decision every single day to live for Jesus. We've got to make a decision every single day to stand for his promises. Because I'll tell you, it's not just us. I'm not standing for his promises for me in my life. I'm telling you right now, 
Man, if, if, and, and I'm not talking, we're not, we're not talking about Christians being martyred today in, in America. We're talking about Christians just getting sick and dying young. Uh, that, that happens to Christians and it has happened to Christians through all time and all ages. What is he talking about? Where is this promise in scripture that we don't get sick? That can't be the will of God. That can't be the loving father that I, that I see clearly and definitively in God's word. Then you're not reading your Bible, right? And we've already kind of established that's a problem with you, Pastor Quando. Um, Seriously, um, if you believe this, then uh, you if you get sick, then you got to come to the conclusion God hates you, doesn't love you, and you're just not you just don't trust enough, and you don't love enough. You're not good enough. You're probably going to hell, man. And there's no guilt or condemnation in this, man. Just please hear my the passion and the resolve that I that I have that God. Well, you're zealous, yeah. You're passionate, yeah, but you're zealous for the wrong thing. You, you don't actually understand what God's word really teaches. God's called you to win and he's called you to win every single day. And what he does is if we trust in him, that we believe in his promise and we stand on his promise that we don't, we don't look at but, but here's how specific and precise it has to be. The Bible says anybody grabbing that plow and turning his head isn't worthy of the kingdom. Because see, what's going to happen is, is your body... See, there it is. There's really the terrible undermine, faith undermining preaching of the law. You know, hey, you know, if you turn your head, then you're not worthy of the kingdom. See, and if you're sick and you're turning your head and you don't believe enough, then you're not worthy of the kingdom. Body's going to follow your head, but your head is going to follow the way you think and what you say. See, by turning your head, you begin to think other things and say other things. And you know what then? Man, you get off track and you begin to veer off. Man, you know you've got to keep that plow on point. But why are you plowing? You're plowing for those that are coming behind you. Man, I know that the plow that I've chosen to grab in my life, when I, when, when, when I, I, I know that I'm living the will of God in my life, there's, a, there's no doubt in my mind about it. And I know that that plow is, is to grab that plow so that we can turn the soil that's in your heart and in your heart and in your heart. And God can begin to sow his word into your lives. And then the music that we sing and you'll say, what's that designed for? Man, that's designed to, to nourish and to water the seed that's been sown in your life. Man, I, I looked at one of the songs that we sang. It was so celebratory and it proclaimed God is the king. But, it, but the melody and the tempo of the song didn't match what was in my heart for that. And I wasn't thinking in the form of art or music. I was thinking in the form of, man, the message. God's my king. Man, I'm victorious. But thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph in Christ. What's a win? Getting through another day, is that a win? Is putting the disease that you might be carrying in your body behind you, is that a win? All right, I'll put it behind me. Where, where, where do I put? Where's the basket I can put it into? Seriously, folks, if you believe this, you, you're eventually going to end up despairing and not believing that God loves you at all. Or like Tammy Faye, who was completely a she looked like a Auschwitz victim before she died after cancer had run its course in her body. 
at the very end, still saying she's trusting for a miracle and she has enough faith. <sighs> Define that win. See, otherwise, how do you know whether you won or not? Because Christ rose from the dead. Oh, man, doesn't know his Bible. And put a guard in your, bring every thought into the captivity of Christ. Put a guard in your heart. And every, every single thought that you think. Man, see, in sickness, man, you can't, you can't feel condemnation if you become ill. No, you know why? And that's why the, that's why the, the Bible expressly tells us to appoint elders over a church. I mean, one of the main functions of an elder Man, I've got, I've got men and women as elders of this church that, man, have got, have got great business minds that are great with people. Man, and you know what? If, if I'd ask them to or if I'd just kind of leave the door open and the light on, man, they'd be in and they'd be directing staff and making financial decisions and directing the business of the church. And you know what? And, 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 but, but the bottom line is I look in the Word and the Word, man, they're there to be positioned in a position of putting God in a position of strength in people's lives to anoint people with oil. Because you know why? There are men and women that can pray the prayer of faith. And you know what the Bible says about the prayer of faith? It'll save the sick. And you'll think, oh, save. Well, wait, no, it's not a band-aid. Saving the sick is a rescue, but it's, a, it's an aggressive rescue. It's a rescue that... They pick you up and they put them you on their back and they take you to that promised place, that crossover place. Oh, but you know what, man? You've, you've already... I know. So when his elders show up and pray the prayer of faith at the hospital of somebody who's dying of cancer, and uh, do they pick that person up and rush them out of the hospital? What happens if this prayer of faith fails, which I'm sure it does because... I bet you anything, the death rate at Guts Church is still 100%. And that's what it is all over the planet. By the way, we all die. I don't know if you know this. There's a day coming when you're going to die, I'm going to die. Unless Christ returns, of course, but that's kind of one of the exceptional things. So you and I all have a date with death. But apparently... uh, You can be victorious and uh, you don't have to be sick. And which means you're supposed to have perfect health. I wonder how this affects his idea of how Christians die. I mean, are are we allowed to die? If I die, did I? Is it because I didn't have enough faith? I understand you've sent spies over there. Oh, it's too big. Oh my gosh, cancer! We man, t- turn on the news. Flip, start flipping channels in the 180 channels or whatever you have on your your cable network. You will find someone that will tell you and convince you that you've got cancer that's percolating in your body right now. Yeah, because cancer is actually a real thing. Uh, it's based upon real medical diagnoses, and it's it exists in reality. It's not. Something made up in fairyland. And, I'll, and, and, and you'll say, okay, preacher, what do I do? I'll tell you what I do. You don't give it lordship. What? Give it lordship? You don't give it lordship? It, it has nothing to do with lordship. You either have cancer or you don't have cancer. It's either going to kill you or you're, it's not going to kill you. 
Here's what my Bible says. No weapon formed against you will prosper. Oh, man. You've got to be kidding. Completely out of context. So that means that uh, cancer is a weapon formed against me, and it... Uh, he doesn't know how to read his Bible. You'll say, yeah, I got a tumor. So what? Oh, my gosh, that's insensitive. No, it's compassionate. Sympathetic is, oh, my God. No, it's foolish. It's ridiculous because it's not biblical. What You're twisting God's word and then ma- turning it and telling people that... Uh, uh, how is it that we have exchanged the truth of God and guys like Bill Shear from Guts Church have these huge, ginormous churches and there's people sitting there sucking this stuff up as if it's biblical? It's not. Gosh. Well, let's just, let's, you know what we, we need to do? We need to help you and make the quality of the rest of your meager life as good as we possibly can. In some cases, that's the real right thing to do because that person's going to die. And it has nothing to do with them not having enough faith. It has nothing to do with whether or not they trust Christ for their salvation. It has nothing to do with whether or not they've made cancer Lord of their life. It has to do with a very real medical reality. We are all going to face God one day and we're all going to die some of us are going to die in car accidents some of us are going to die by cancer some of us are going to have very rapid heart attacks that are going to kill us quickly we'll be alive one moment and next thing you know we'll be face down on our desk at work other people are going to die in plane crashes other people are going to be martyred do you see what i'm saying here we're, uh, did i make the point we're all going to die this is terrible dear god that can't be compassion. No, it's like, you know what? That tumor can't win. You'll say, why not? Because I said so. (sighs) The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Yeah, so that means that I, I get to say that I'm healed. You'll say, well, that's awful. Cocky or confident, whatever. No, it's a complete misreading of the scripture. You, ugh. I don't know another way to be. How about biblical? Actually read what the text says and understand what it says in context. I know, I, I know how we need to react to respond to the enemy. And the enemy wants to take all your stuff. John 10. 10, he said, the thief comes but to kill, steal, and destroy. And this is when Jesus in John 10, 1 through 9, you know what he's talking about there? He's talking about him being the door for the sheep. I'm the access. I'm how you get there. Trust me, I will get you there. And let me tell you what's awesome about that for us. What's awesome about that for me is I don't have to go to the door of the throne room of grace and knock on that door and hear that heavenly voice say, who comes now? Well, it's me, Sheer. What makes you worthy to come into my presence? And I've got to evaluate and I've got to look at it. I've got to think, oh. Probably not. Just looking for a little mercy here. I'm uh, I'm like that woman that had the severely demon-possessed child that asked for help. And you said, my food is for my children. I, my food's not for the dogs. I'm one of those dogs, I know. I'm not worthy. But guess what? I don't go to that door alone because now that door is my savior. 
My door is my master. That door is my Lord. That door is Jesus. Now, now listen to me and please just imagine this with me. Man, we get to go in and we get to come out and we get to find pasture. Now it's Where does it say this in context from the clear teaching of the Bible that we get to walk waltz right into the throne room of God and place a demand on him? And that he, if we have enough faith, he's going to, oh, no, no, you got enough faith, has to give us what we ask for. It says we can ask for anything in Jesus' name and it will be given to us. But see, there's the issue. What does it mean when it says that you ask for something in the name of Jesus? That means by the authority of Jesus and regarding his kingdom, his purpose, his will, his design, he's the sovereign. If it's in accordance with him and his will, it'll be granted. It's not just a, oh, I'm living out here in the cold without God. And, I, and, and maybe if I could get in, I could get warm and I could, I could get a little bit of relief. No, when I go in and when I come out, it's all the same now. Remember when Jesus said, here, pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Whether I go in or come out, it's all the same on earth as it is in heaven. And there's too many people that will say, well, he received his healing through death. Oh my God. Yeah. Great. Uh, Pastor Shear, I hate to break this to you, but um, you're going to die someday. But I also know great is his faithfulness who won't withhold any good thing. And what happens when you really are on your deathbed and you are quoting these verses out of context to your situation? You're missing the point. You're not going into eternity trusting in Christ. You're going into eternity despairing and fearing because you think that you've done something wrong. And the reality is, is that you don't actually understand what Jesus came to do. Is that really the God that I'm serving now is a God that's going to put some bait out in front of me and bait me into, into the, into, come on, come on, come on. Got a, he's got a pole with a string on. He's got that bait in front of me trying to lure me into heaven. Because if I cross over the other side, that my, I'll be delivered from my bed of affliction. Is that him? Oh, you know what? He proclaims himself. I'm the God who heals you. I'm the God who delivers you. Man, understand this, that no weapon formed against you can ever prosper. But everything you put your hand to will. See, we go to that door now because Jesus is the door. And he didn't, the thief comes but to kill, steal, and destroy. And you know what? You know what Jesus called the thief? This is where you take a Bible passage out of context, turn it into a pretext, and then just start drawing the wrong conclusions from the text. Absolutely an abomination and terrible and again, I pointed this out. If you believe this way, it's just a matter of time before you despair because each and every one of us has that day coming and it'll happen slower for some people who might actually go through the whole cancer thing. But the reality is, is our hope is in the resurrection, 
not in perfect health here, because Christ never actually clearly taught that we Christians get perfect health here and now. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't there a story about people, Christians in the New Testament dying? Yeah, there is. But, you know, I, again, I, what am I, what do I know? What do I know? We're going to stop here because I think you get the point of this and I think you can see through what's going on. And believe me when I tell you, uh, Guts Church is a very large church there in Oklahoma. And uh, we need to be praying for Bill Shear and the people who are being deceived by this man's teaching because this is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what he's saying contradicts Scripture and misuses Scripture and ultimately will lead to people having their faith, if they have it at all, being undermined and snatched away from them by this false teaching. Anyway. All right, we're at the end of our program. I want to remind you that Fighting for the Faith is a listener-supported radio, and we could use your support to help pay our bills and continue to bring you this important radio outreach. You can support us several different ways. One, you can uh, send your gift to Fighting for the Faith at Post Office Box 791, San Juan Capistrano, California, zip code 92693. Or you can log on to fightingforthefaith.com and click on the donate button. And if you would like to uh, email us regarding anything that you've heard on today's show, you can do that at uh, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Until next time, may God bless you. 